Sefer Shmot, Parshat Kitisa, Looking at God's Back. Spanning from Exodus 34-35, Parshat Kitisa is especially profound and eventful. We get the first set of tablets, the golden calf, the subsequent breaking of the first set of tablets, the creation of the second set of tablets, and the 13 attributes of mercy, a true roller coaster of a Parsha. Much of Parshat Kitisa involves Moshe pleading with God on behalf of B'nai Yisrael, especially after the famous incident of the golden calf, when while waiting for Moses to come down from Sinai, the people convince Aaron to make an idol to worship. Moses must plead significantly that God not abandon us. And in the course of this Parsha, we learn that even the greatest prophet has limits to what he can see. Because in Exodus 33, 18, Moses addresses God saying, Oh, let me behold your presence. That's the JPS translation. More literally, we might say, Oh, show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. This is an interesting bargain to strike up. Moses asks for God's glory and is shown God's goodness. Then skipping to the next verse, God continues, But you cannot see my face, for a human being may not see me and live. The Rambam clarifies that had Moshe seen God's face, quote, before he could grasp the sight, his soul would depart from him. Of course, we're not talking about a physical face. God does not have a physical body. Instead, the words, my face, refers to God's essence. This is confirmed, in a sense, by the dual meanings that can be conveyed by the Hebrew for face, panim. Counterintuitively, this gives us the word bifnim, or interiority. So the root pe, nun, yud can refer both to the external face and the interior world. To see God's panim would be to see God's essence, a sight that Rambam reminds us we could never grasp. Moshe's exchange with God here teaches us something about interactions with others. That an encounter face-to-face is a pathway to another person's inner world. And conversely, an encounter with the face, panim, of another always animates something inside, bifnim, something within us. Here, one might recall that according to the 20th century philosopher Emmanuel Levinas, we are infinitely accountable after encountering the face of the other. And in the otherness of our counterpart, God comes to mind. But God and Moses will not stand face to face here. Instead, God as a counteroffer, you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What does it mean to see God's back? Basing his insights off other rabbinic commentary, Rashi explains that God showed Moshe the back of the head, specifically the tefillin knot, which, as you may know, is placed behind the head. Rav Chia Bar Avin teaches that just as the parchment inside our tefillin speaks of the greatness of God, <clears throat> the tefillin that God wears includes a passage of Am Yisrael's greatness. Who is like your people, Israel, one nation in the land? A reference to 1 Chronicles 17.21. This image of complementary tefillin, one set worn by God and one set worn by Am Yisrael, each proclaiming the other's greatness, symbolizes mutual love. It represents covenant. It represents relationship. So while God showing Moses the back instead of the face might seem like a diss, in fact, it's revelatory 
God is showing Moses the very place in the tefillin where God's commitment to the covenant is confirmed. In this moment, Moses is pleading, God, don't abandon us. And God, by showing the back, is reassuring Moses. I think we could go even further to argue that it's better to see the back of God's head than God's face. Because by seeing the back, we're actually looking in the same direction as God. We are seeing what God sees. There is deep power in a face-to-face encounter. There's also incredible power when you and someone else are sharing a single vision, looking in the same direction, experiencing the same reality. We normally think of dialogue as happening face-to-face, often in um, the Martin Buber model of I and thou, which considers what it means to be proximate. But there's another model of expansive empathy that involves looking in the direction that someone is seeing. This way, we might understand their reality, understand their history, and what they've survived. In our social justice work, this is especially critical when we are operating in solidarity with people who experience different nexuses of marginalization than we do. We want to consider not just what it means to walk in their shoes, but also what it means to look through their eyes. The model of such looking is given to us by God in this deeply profound moment with Moses on Mount Sinai as they both look toward a shared future in partnership. This partnership is soon inscribed, or should I say re-inscribed, in Parshat Kitisa, because immediately following the seeing of God's back, we get the account of the second set of tablets. You'll recall that the first set of tablets was shattered by Moshe upon seeing the idolatry of B'nai Israel with the golden calf. The Torah tells us that those lost tablets were literally inscribed with the finger of God. Perhaps because this idea is so shocking that God actually wrote the tablets, it's reiterated a few verses later. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing, incised upon the tablets. It's further confirmed by Rashi, who says, this means what it literally implies. God himself made them. And Moshe destroyed them. Some say that even before Moshe broke the tablets, the writing vanished from them as he approached the camp where the calf was. But either way, the perfect tablets, inscribed by God, are lost. The replacement tablets are not inscribed by God. No. So Moses carved two tablets of stone karishonim, like the first ones. Not identical, but like the first. The Beis Halevi, a 19th century rabbi and scholar, tells us that the first set of tablets contain all of Torah and Mishnah. But because of the sin of the golden calf, Mishnah became an oral tradition. Although it may seem like a total tragedy to lose the tablets carved by God, there's another way to look at it. Consider that the replacement tablets represent a partnership between God and humans. Less perfect, but more collaborative. In fact, the Beis Alevi also writes that it was this very divine perfection that necessitated that the tablets be broken because we need a Torah Chayim, a living Torah, that we might be empowered to innovate. This is one of the profound insights of Torah, that we are in a covenantal relationship with God. God creates a broken world that has partners to address it. This might recall to us the image of looking at the back of God's head, 
looking in the same direction as God. We are partners in a shared future. And so too, all of us who do change work on this earth right now are partners in a shared future. What story will we write together? What society will we build together? How will we heal this all too broken world? Forget perfection. The goal isn't perfection. It's moving in the same direction. Shabbat Shalom.